podcast is sponsored by Damo Ingredients, who provide best-in-class functional ingredients such as starches, proteins, fibres and gums, to name but a few, into food manufacturers across the UK and Ireland. I've worked with Dama on various projects for my own brand and with my clients. And what I love about working with them is their in-depth technical knowledge and their ability to apply that to the specific products that you're actually working on. So they become an extension to your own development team, supporting them with their knowledge from concept through to launch. To find out more, visit www.dama.com. Welcome to the O for Food's Sake podcast, where we unwrap the joys and struggles of working in the food industry so you can thrive in what you do best while sustaining a rewarding and fulfilling career or business. We are your hosts, Lucy Wager, food industry consultant, and Amy Wilkinson, food industry coach. We've worked in the food industry for the last 20 years, and we're here to share with you the benefit of our hindsight. Our podcast is for you to find new ways to cope with the daily struggles, but mostly to inspire you to work on what's not working to ultimately improve your career or business long term. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Over Food's Sake. Today we have a special guest here. We have Claire Hughes, who is the Director of Product Innovation at Sainsbury's. Welcome, Claire. Hi, Claire. Hi, yeah. Thanks for inviting me to join today. Oh, we we were so chuffed when you said you would come on. I yeah. can't remember. I can't remember the conversation. You were like, "Oh yeah, of course I'll come on." I, you know, when you'd like been building up, like, "How can I ask her? Like, what's she going to say?" You were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." So we, I can't remember when we met. We've met through the power of LinkedIn, haven't we? And we've yeah. been. Um, me and Lucy came in um, earlier this year and did um, a bit of a workshop session with your team. Um, and I, but, I met you when. Yeah. You were at m we were both at m and I think. Yeah, we were both at m and that's when I'd first met, and then I followed your business a bit, because I was really, ex- you know, when you launched your um, foodology brand, it was really exciting to see it in store, and I yeah. followed all Aww. the sort of news around that, and then I did meet Amy oh, through you. LinkedIn, yeah. really sort of, I started to read your posts, and they just made sort of a lot of sense about sort of sentiment around where the teams were, what was going on in the food industry, so yeah. Um, and I know yeah. a lot of my team listen to your podcast as well, so it's a big favourite. Oh, so oh, they're all listening to this. That's really good to hear. That's brilliant yeah, to hear. I can remember when you first turned up in my DMs in um, LinkedIn, I was like, oh, this is so exciting. Somebody from Sainsbury's. Oh, it's a director from Sainsbury's. And then I met you and I'm like, oh, and she's lovely too. Because <laughs> we can, it's really, it's amazing though, because you can really like inflate this stuff in your head and, you know, as somebody that's always worked manufacturing side and not retail side, there can be this little bit of you put people in retail up on a pedestal. And you, I'm not saying you're not on a pedestal, Claire, but what I'm saying is you're a human being and you're down to earth and you're lovely. And I, I think that's important for our listeners to hear. Yeah, I'm definitely not on a pedestal and don't, don't put it. <laughs> My advice to people is don't put people in this pedestal. I mean, one of the Sainsbury's values that I really like actually is about being human. Um, and it's about mm. myself. Um, and I know from a personal point of view, if I'm not myself, I'm not in my best place. And I think we should all yeah. strive yeah. to be who we are. Um, and it's when, you, when yeah. you're when you at your best, if you genuinely feel comfortable in yourself. Yeah, it's so true. Because if you're just wearing a mask, you're never, you know, you're, you're spending so much energy having that mask on rather than actually just like, we always talk about zone of genius, like working in your zone of genius, if you can just be yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Claire, we always start, I know you do listen to the podcast sometimes, so you know we always start with, tell us, tell us about your background, tell us how you started, how you ended up in food and just give us a bit of a career history. Yeah, I think my background is probably quite squiggly, so I'll, I'll start by saying that because it is quite... We love that. <laughs> probably not it's not a direct route to where I've ended up today I actually studied um, um, 
I, I studied parasitology and people sometimes think I say parapsychology. It was nothing to do with ghosts. It was all to do with parasites <laughs> and malaria. Um, and I got interested in nutrition through that, actually. So I went to uh, do an so, but Just take a step back. What, what made you go into parasitology? Yeah, I've, never, like, I've literally never heard like, of that. Like, like, so I had a look on your LinkedIn profile. Right, Luke, Lucy right. said, oh, well, why don't we ask you this question? I was like... Well, I don't think it was like that she'd always wanted to work in food because she did parasitology. So well, like, what made you go into that before um, we get on to nutrition? So I went to university quite young, all to do with Scotland and when you start school and when you finish. So I, was probably, I started university, oh, okay. I went to Glasgow Uni at 16, actually. So I was like, before I was, it was a couple wow. of years before I was legal to do anything and it's just to do with the Scottish school system and when I started school I ended up in parasitology because I absolutely love the zoology department um, I love animals um, I like learning about okay. animals you'll find me watching a David Attenborough documentary reading about David Attenborough I love all sort of the natural environment um, and I think I, I ended up doing that um, there was a lot of biochemistry involved I love biology and chemistry as well um, and it was the, the department was great learned a lot but through that and through sort of learning about how having a parasitic infection <laughs> impacted on nutrition and a lot of the reasons why people had parasitic uh, infections yeah. it was all my real passion was to was then about nutrition and to go and work in sort of programs and in in countries where I could make a real difference. I know I've not ended up, I've sort of gone mm-hmm. down a different route. So that's how I got into nutrition. I went to Aberdeen to do an MSc in nutrition, which at the time was the Rowett Research Institute. It's now univers- part of University of Aberdeen. Um, and I did, um, I was a research assistant because I had plans to do a PhD actually. Um, so I thought I'll go in as a research assistant. I was doing a study where I was getting, I had human volunteers a lot, which is a, a challenge because they don't do as they're told and they tell you they've done stuff, but they haven't. <laughs> they have to fill it in in their diary. <laughs> so that was, your first, that was your first um, thing in managing people then? Yeah, <laughs> and, um, yeah it was great. She met loads of people. They had to come in and be you did measure. They had to be measured. And I had them on a study trying to get them to eat more fruit and veg. Um and we gave them fruit and veg and then measured what happened to their food intake, energy intake. But what I, what I realised then was um, that I thought from a nutrition point of view and health, actually, I could have had a bigger impact if I went into the food industry. So I was massively passionate and mm. through sort of working at Aberdeen, I had some, you make some contacts with industry um, that are sponsoring projects. Yeah. So um, I ended up, um, doing a couple other things for a bit um, I met my husband who's now my husband but I met him in Aberdeen uh, but he was from London so he moved to London to work for the Food Standards Agency and then eventually I moved to London to get a job um, I started I, do, I, I was in marketing for a bit actually and then decided there was a job came up at Safeway um, and they were looking for someone to come in and do nutrition. And it was all, again, being out in stores, talking to customers. They were launching the Eat Smart brand at the time. Um, and I went, that's oh, how I got yeah. in. So I ended up in, I ended up in uh, Safeway after sort of um, Safeway uh, got bought over by Morrison's at the time. And then I ended up in PR for a bit in between. And then I got some through an old colleague. Um, they were looking for a company nutritionist to join Marks and Spencer, and um, I went there. And I was on, I was going there to do a sort of maternity cover, and ended up staying. Um, and I was there for thirteen years. That's where I met Lucy, and I um, and I had sort of varied roles there. So I did um, sort of. I love doing the health stuff. I still kept doing health and nutrition, worked a lot with the development teams. And then I, I did a role. I had a real sort of, I had a boss actually at the time that really sort of pushed me out of my comfort zone. Otherwise, I'd have probably stayed in the nutrition world. And um, I took mm. a lot of roles in the food technical team. So I headed up the central technical team. And then latterly, I was in a trading area um, looking after more of the technical side. But I drove um, their innovation agenda and work with the product development team on health and other sort of projects that we did 
And then an opportunity came up at Sainsbury's. Um, Sainsbury's matched really well with my values because they have, you know, sustainability um, credentials that they had, innovation agenda as well. Um, they had, it was a mass, mm. massive customer base. So for me as well, it was an opportunity to work both at the sort of value end and at the taste of difference and trade up end. And it, it had massive appeal. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess you get a lot more breadth at Sainsbury's yeah. than you would at M&S. I think people often have that M&S as the pinnacle, but it is only one kind of, you know, it's quite a tight consumer uh, profile that shopping M&S versus a, a store like Sainsbury's. Yeah, I mean, what M&S taught me, though, M&S taught me, and Lucy can probably relate to this, a lot about innovation um, and working with suppliers um, mm. and how to sort of push yeah. quality in products um, as well. Um, and I, I had some great experiences there, but Sainsbury's, yeah, you're right, Sainsbury's just opens up this massive, some massive brand um, and mm. opens up an opportunity as well to learn from brands too, um, because I've come... Yeah, that, yeah that would be different, yeah. Yeah, 13 years at M&S and then, because I went the other way around. Yeah, you did. But yeah, yeah I can imagine that. That, Yeah, yeah. but yes, I, so, so I love I loved working. I loved working at Sainsbury's and M&S, but when, I, when you were talking right at the beginning about Sainsbury's and uh, happy, I can't remember what we said now, but I was like, when I think back at my time at Sainsbury's, it's, it was a really happy place to, to work. So that just, um, yeah, resonated with me. So when you moved to Sainsbury's, did you move into the role that you're in now? Um, the role was slightly different, actually. So when I joined, it was I joined to do a head of um, quality and innovation role. Um, and then sort of it was under the own brand director at the time. But we've uh, the, the business has changed quite a lot from then. And we've when Simon Roberts took over as um, chief executive in uh, 2020 yes it was during the pandemic I get confused but that time actually um then <laughs> it's like a time warp isn't it yeah. <laughs> I have to think back was um we accelerated um sort of our food strategy and as part of that we sort of the own brand at the time had had sort of technical and product together into one director and um, CSNR and they, they sort of split that into relevant departments and so my role then uh, moved into the uh, commercial director. Right okay so it's oh, it's been quite a quite a journey for you really then so from, from sort of like a really scientific starting place into the nutrition bit into technical and then more into the product development side of things and really, you know like the commerciality of that it's funny actually so I am quite because and you two are both going to resonate with us and I've, I've seen Amy actually um putting it uh, before in some of the messages you do it's not people don't think that product development is fluffy um mm, so mm-hmm. and, and why why I laugh at I I have it's not fluffy so um, and I'm not absolutely I am quite embedded in data and we talk a lot about commerciality and data of products so I think I've got quite a different background to go into that but people would describe me this similarly as quite creative but I, I, Mm. I, I think I mean I'm not I've got people in my team that are much more foodie than me and with chef backgrounds which is what you need because I'm certainly not an expert in that sense but it's that sort of connecting dots and creative and, and trying to think about yeah. how you can stretch things across areas. Um, I yeah. Think I, I, pro, I have, although I have a science background, I think that's what I did. That's what you do quite a lot in that area anyway. You are mm. you are looking at patterns. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking at how you can connect things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, quite, yeah, it's, it's quite well into the creative side. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because it's not necessarily creativity in the sense of – it. Obviously, the creativity around food is important, but it's the creative thinking that Mm. a lot of people in product development have. Being able to see possibilities, it's exactly what you say. You know, you can see a pattern or you can understand there's a gap there. How do we fill that gap? It's it's a real skill set. 
and it frustrates the hell out of me that it's called fluffy because there's nothing fluffy about it. and And the thing is, once you've got that, like, creativity to get it to fruition there are so many steps you've got to go through you know and yeah, it's, it's true. you it's can't true. be fluffy because it's it just would never true. happen and I'm <laughs> laughing at fluffy because I think um that's probably um I don't think of that that it's like that and and neither would the with the teams around me that I work with but there is sort of an old-fashioned perception that product development's quite fluffy because you go out and you're looking at products and you're creating products and it's all but I think um, well, you know, like it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, so I was just saying because I, I, it's just made me think. In retail, I think it's there's less of a perception of that in retail. There's, it, I think, there's more of that perception from a supply side because the where you're working with the, the where the factory is quite separate to the development teams. Whereas mm-hmm. in retail, you're sort of you're all you are it's easier to work as sort of one team because you're all in that office together. Mm, so yeah. maybe that's why that's an interesting um, perspective. But I, but I think also you're one step closer to the consumer. So there's that yeah. better understanding yeah. of, you know, we're trying to fill a consumer need, whereas when you are, you can be quite removed from that if you stood in your, you know, yeah. you know your wellies in the factory in, you know, the yeah. middle of nowhere um you know not really thinking about how that product's going to be used in the end because that's true you know there's that real disconnect between the two isn't there yeah and I think that's how retailers and manufacturers can work really closely together because um at the end of the day we can have kitchen creative sessions and come up with ideas but if the if the, we can't make them um in the factory there's no point in doing that so that's why it, look really collaborative partnership working is important to me yeah 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 so I, I was thinking about that because we have a mixture of people listening that work in manufacturers work in retail and stuff like that but for a lot of the people that do work in manufacturing what's what what advice would you give them in terms of how to build that relationship and that collaborative because it can uh, we it's quite timely because we've just we've just been um recording a podcast about collaboration over competition because sometimes it can feel you know I've worked in different businesses and it feels different where you're in one that is really collaborative with a retailer versus one that it feels more of a transactional relationship so how do people in manufacturers build that better relationship I think get to know the teams that you work with um, and the commercial technical product development supply chain team work really closely together when they're working with suppliers and I think um, make the time to come in to meet with meet them get to know them if people change rounds because i know that people move around a little bit as well to to get their breadth of experience then come in and sort of get to know the new team um i think you there's a lot of meetings can be done online and i do a lot of my meetings online but i also think there's no substitute sometimes for meeting people in person just to establish a relationship Mm. and come in with the product spend time with the with them in the kitchen and um you know whatever insight you have from a manufacturer's base about the product is it's super valuable actually so um because it's as I sort of said before you can have some great ideas in the kitchen and then they if they're not going to work and it's how you work together to get the best outcome for the the product where we want to get it to be and what's practical um, and you can only do that together yeah. yeah. And it's so important, that collaboration piece, isn't it? Because I'm just thinking about a lot of the teams that I work with, MPD teams in manufacturers, where there's, I'm often brought in to help them um, with the difficult conversations. Because sometimes you get asked to do something and you stood there and you're thinking, there's no flipping way our factory's ever going to be able to do that. <laughs> and I think um, it can feel quite scary to to say no, but it's, it's almost the the stronger that collaboration can be be or that stronger that that relationship is there's that trust that's built up that you're not just saying no or or uh, you might be saying not yet you know or this how how can we work together you know it's like being like having that trust and honesty isn't it yeah and and it's sometimes it can be it's we can't do that but what is it specifically about this that is important to the consumer and what can we do that could meet that need and yeah definitely yeah definitely 
Yeah, we were having that conversation. I can't remember. We, we, we um, Claire, we were talking about something like a dessert or something like that, where you know. It, it's also about the commerciality. It's not necessarily just about capability, but where, you know, it, we want to put gold sprinkles on it. <laughs> and mm. um, we can't afford gold sprinkles, but we can afford bronze sprinkles. And we might need to put them in a sachet. What matters to the end consumer? You know, that's, yeah. it's working together, isn't it? To, to that common goal of, we want to get a brilliant product on shelf. Yeah, brilliant. Or an appropriate product on shelf. Yeah, yeah appropriate for the consumer. At, at the right price point and that will be different in different tiers but also yeah keeping the consumer front and center of everything you do because sometimes um it, it's important not to lose the consumer and not to make mm. you're absolutely right about that make the products too complicated or make them there's too many flavor combinations or so we need to keep whilst we need to push the boundaries and innovation keep bringing it back to the consumer and who's the consumer for that product that's a good point yeah mm. and we can often in product development be a little bit ahead can't we in terms of trends and you know yeah. because we are getting out there and we're understanding so it's 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 timing the things right i mean i always joke about um my friend that created a a halloumi mountain in a factory in Spalding a long time ago because she <laughs> launched a halloumi product way too soon like halloumi is mainstream now then yeah. it was too niche you know it's yeah <laughs> you can't even imagine thinking halloumi isn't it wouldn't be mainstream now but it's it's the same as um you know it's, it's the same as anything like with lucy with plant-based yeah. very early on um yeah. you know so it's 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 quite a skill isn't it to to bring all of that insight together and those trends and get it right for the consumer yeah yes and I don't think you should always get it right and so one of the things I'd probably say is not every product you launch should or will work because if they're all working um, you're probably not stretching the innovation enough um, so mm-hmm. there are some flavor combinations that you don't work even though you've got insight but you do need to push push the boundaries a little bit just to test yeah test products yeah yeah and that can be really difficult can't it so to convince the commercial people of that yeah I think um that's why um working you mean working with your team so you're working together um on the products and um getting everybody excited about the submissions there's a real job in the product development team to get everybody excited about products so that real mm, yeah. passion for the products um living and breathing them tasting them feeling you know what you're delivering for customers i think that's really important it's a massive part of the job actually um whether yeah. you're the manufacturer or in the retailer together your job's to get people excited yeah, it's that storytelling to give give yeah. people that passion around the product rather than just seeing what well, the rate of sale is going to be X versus Y. Yeah. You know, and it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and also for our market for the marketing teams as well, right? Because we um we need to get marketing and PR uh, excited mm. about products. So I love those days. Um, and the, the team probably there's loads of work goes into it, and from our suppliers as well as um. Mm own team when we we have our like christmas showcases in 10 like you see everything together in the table um well before it's launched into store and it's brilliant because you get people talking about the products around the table they're getting excited about them they're thinking about what they can do with them so yeah that that's it's fantastic to see that yeah yeah but again it's it's so much of it is this storytelling you know this is why product development is not fluffy. Like you've got to have so many skills of, you know, uh, right from the start, managing that supply base, but also then selling it internally. Yeah. And that right. can be quite hard, can't it? When you've, you know, we were talking before we came on that it's like Christmas at the moment, you're getting Christmas sorted. And it's like, by the time you do those PR events, the product developer, I remember standing doing these <laughs> PR events, just like, I'm so over this. But you <laughs> Find that energy in you. Find that passion for this product on that day. And equally, when you're a manufacturer, by the time it's going out on launch day, you're like, I'm so flipping sick of this. (laughs) So over it. I I think that's what I absolutely love about the team. My my team, they are absolutely brilliant. So they 
they they have been tasting the product a lot and they've taken it through all the stages of development and then they love talking about it, whether that be to um our colleagues within Sainsbury's, whether it be um to the media. Um, they they just love it so that because I, there's a real pride in the product that they've developed and I love that because it's it's a yeah. It's a, yeah. a passion for products comes yeah. through. It does it, it, it's one of those things though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things, isn't it, that you don't, you never, as a product developer, you never get bored of seeing a product that you've worked on launch on in shelf. You just, you just never get bored of it. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, it's one I of the joys. I don't, Lucy, actually, when I go into stores still, um, and then you see the product actually on the shelf for the customers. I mean, I'm like massively proud of the team when I go in. And see it's it. when yeah. people, when you see someone picking it up and putting it in their basket, you're like, I did that, I did that. I mean, yeah. I still, I, like years and years ago, it was it was Tesco Finest three cheese coleslaw. Uh, it was the first, like it was the first time they launched it in Finest. I still think that when I see the product on shelf, even though I know it will have been reformulated yeah. at least yeah. 10 times, but you know, that was my product in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the great things about working in retail actually is that you get to, I mean, I've done it for a long time, is that we support um we support stores actually at certain times of the year. So I love mm. being in store um at Christmas because just as you've mm. said you then customers pick up the products the new ones they tell you what they think of them good and bad why they're buying it and it, it's great there's, there's nothing better than getting the, the prop the actual customer at the shelves feedback on the yeah, products yeah 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 it is tiring though doing that right it makes you really appreciate how hard that job is I used to do it like the, yeah as a Sainsbury supplier and I can remember like lugging stuff up onto the shelves thinking oh you know I, exhausted at the end of the day the packing repacking the bacon shelves and <laughs> the weight of the cases the freezing cold oh my gosh it's like oh well this is like an incredible whoever does this like I bow down to you because I'm freezing cold and I can't feel yeah. my arms yeah there's lots of stock at Christmas as well it says it it just keeps coming. yeah 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 there's, yeah. A, there's yeah. a sense of satisfaction as well that you're getting all that product out for for customers to buy um, yeah. Not yeah. yeah Christmas at other events as well and so yeah it's exciting um yeah so you've Claire, obviously I... got a Sorry, I oh, sorry. I was just um, I was going to ask her because I um, I work with a lot of startups, and yeah. um, I'm interested to know what your advice to startups would be because it's a, it's it's that real challenge, isn't it? And from a th- thinking about it from a product development perspective, and what we're talking about, sort of early innovation, challenger brands can sometimes have products that are too early for something to happen in own label, but what's your what what's your advice to to startups if they're if they're looking at getting into um retail and wanting to speak to someone at Sainsbury's so within my team actually at Sainsbury's we've got a future brands program where we bring um smaller brands into um store and help them enable them we've just done yeah um, the team have done a brilliant job actually um on a project called Thrive that we worked externally. Yes. Um, yeah, with with um, to bring um, sort of black-owned brands um, or ethnically diverse brands, um, entrepreneurs to start start up brands into store, and we've got um, those products launching, and there's there's lots of sort of work going in on both sides. Um, to help I'm working with one of them actually Claire yeah, I was just gonna say <laughs> Lucy's, Lucy's involved as well right so you know you, you've got a live experience I think those programs are brilliant um I also think it's been really clear from, from the sort of what is the what is the role of the product playing who's the customer um mm-hmm. is your packaging distinctive there's loads that you can there's loads that you need to consider up front especially um sometimes if brands are coming into an area and um, fresh is challenging for other reasons actually to do with this yeah. it's quite own label dominated um certain categories mm-hmm. are but in grocery you're competing there's lots of other products in the shelf actually as well so it's just been really clear about um how the product differentiates what's your your product story can you scale up or are you able to how many stores can you start in um and the team can help support with some of that and then um 
and there's not so success for me actually looks like for smaller um startups if you have something that they've got their own their own brand and they want to grow their own brand it's been open-minded actually that if you want to get volume as well you might do some products for own label and and mm, yeah back of your mind about how you could do that to drive the volume yeah um, yeah and the, the bit for me about some of the smaller brands is that they can be more disruptive in certain um, categories where it can be yeah. quite difficult to take your own label products there right away and um, so with yeah with yeah. formats so yeah that that would be my advice to in thinking about how you do it just being really clear about is your product different um Mm. yeah it's the same as we you know we we do the stage gate training and stuff like that for startups and it is it comes down to what is the consumer need and why is your product any different to anybody else's you know that's that's the most important thing isn't it right at the beginning and whether you can scale it up you know yeah so I was just going to say, Amy says that I'm always rubbish about talking about what I do. So I will just quickly say that, <laughs> I, that, that this is what I can help with. I can help bridge that gap and help those startups understand what they need to do to get, you know, the products ready and into the position that a retailer like Sainsbury's needs them to be, mm. um, which is what I'm doing with one of the businesses that are on the Thrive program because there's the the reality is that when you work in a retailer you as you said you know the supply base is is huge it's so broad and the 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 buyers and the product developers can't give the time that's needed to do all the things that is required for a brand to get into the right position Mm. because it's there's a lot that goes into it isn't there so yeah that's one of the things that I love is you know, utilizing my background in the fact that I worked in retail and understand that, but also understand the difficulties of like bringing a a startup brand onto shelf because it's it's not an easy thing to do, especially yeah. when you're trying to disrupt a category that you know, it's it's a challenge. Yeah, and I think that's a brilliant support you provide because you're right. They 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 they've got um the buyers have got big jobs as well. Everybody's um. They, they don't have the time um as I think you being out there doing that with smaller brands to get them into the right place um and I, I sometimes think that some some of the brands some brands I've seen over the years actually are probably just a little bit too far ahead um and it's yes timing or how you pull it back a bit to you you might go there but how do you evolve to that rather than yeah yeah not ready for you to launch exactly and yeah Yeah. don't create a halloumi mountain yeah (laughs) Yeah. although you're right amy halloumi is now mainstream but But, but that's the point but the point is it was too too soon and that's that's yeah yeah but maybe she sowed a seed she sowed a seed you see (laughs) maybe but it's exactly what happened with you with podology wasn't it holly holly Holly. holly's her daughter I call Holly Lucy all the time. <laughs> Tells everybody a lot about our relationship, Amy. I like, I like it. It's <laughs> interchangeable. <laughs> I can't remember what I was going to say then. Um, uh, Podology, you were ahead of your time, you know. And yeah. You know, yeah. that, that was the reality. But those challenger brands, you know, I think now things are different, aren't they? Because there's a lot more investment. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard at the moment for, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's harder to get investment for those smaller business, but but it's kind of a bit of a different model for for startups now. But that's what has been brilliant about the Thrive Program, and I think yeah. you know, huge shout out for Sainsbury's for doing that because I think yeah. it's it's unprecedented, and it's just you know having you know working with one of those brands, it's it's incredibly exciting and a fantastic opportunity for those businesses. So I, I just wanted to do a shout out because it's brilliant. There was lots of people in Sainsbury's involved in that, but we'll um, give out a shout out actually to a couple of people. So Salika and Shelley Manson that's in my team and Tom Forsyth and Lizzie Lizzie Bunting, they put loads of work into that, working with the the brands and um, with the support from the partners that we were working with as well. And you learn a lot through that process yourself. So each yeah, time that. You, you learn, you, you learn as a business owner, 
they're involved, the trading teams within Sainsbury's as well, and and they learn. So we all learn. We'll all learn together. And yeah. What we want now yeah. is the to launch and be successful. Um, yes. And and that's where yeah. we will help with the support and um, that we'll we'll give them to bring them into retail, and then success looks like you know they grow in other they grow in other places after they've been in Sainsbury's. Yeah. Do you want to see that? Yeah. Um, and hopefully we can get some of the some products into own label as well at some point. Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's I think it's a really clever thing to do. And I think the thing that I like about it as well is when I work with startups, there's one of the challenging conversations that I can have when I'm trying to help them is with for, like if I'm if it's a brand that isn't manufacturing themselves, trying to find manufacturers is really challenging. But being able to say, you know, this this brand is supported because they've been on the Sainsbury's Thrive program adds an element of, you know, it gives some confidence to that manufacturer that this is something that they could take on because at the moment things are difficult. Mm. And I think that's, it's it's really worth saying because yeah. these new brands that are coming in, you know, we need this invigoration. We need, we need this newness and interest yeah. to come into the industry. So it's... Do you know, I actually saw that in action on, we were at a food show the other day and I'm always like just on Lucy's coattails going, oh, I'm just her sidekick when she's like getting all excited talking to all of these supplies and stuff. And she had one of those conversations and you could see the face of the um, the owner of the business, like how it changed, you know, when when she mentioned Sainsbury, she mentioned the volumes, you know, it, and it gives, it, it gave, you know, he he stood up and listened so you can see how yeah. it's it's yeah. going to be you know it's it facilitates that for sure yeah. it's just the thinking and sort of getting people prepared um and sometimes people are too too early for a big retailer so they might need to launch small somewhere else just to get their yeah. brands to market yeah. yeah yeah and that's a really yeah. good point because there are lots of you know people think that like you know big retailers are the be all and end all but actually there are other ways to start and that yeah. can be a stepping stone into the bigger retailers and make it make that transition much easier as well yeah mm. and build you your brand awareness first yeah, or definitely yeah. you learn from that um and you will um sort of get experience of what it's like to, to, to deal deal sell your product into somewhere yeah. else and then the feedback yeah. you get and you learn more about the customer um which hopefully because i do this we do this on all our products then links back to well you need to evolve something about the packaging you need to evolve something about your messaging and then all the product actually and you sort of you sort of adapt it and then move it forward as well so continue to evolve your brand yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned packaging. I want to talk to you about packaging. So uh, you you look after packaging as well as as it's part of product. And I've seen so much recently about Sainsbury's mints and the pack check packaging change. So talk to us about that. Right. So I think the teams have done a fantastic job, um, and they've been really bold, which is brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, you need to be uh, in packaging. We've got quite ambitious target to reduce plastic by 50% um, and with the, the team we've got targets internally that the teams are measured on and the team and they're doing really well so um, in meat fish and poultry one of the things and it completely collaborative with our two suppliers in that area was to look at our men's packaging um, and move it to a more um, describe it more of a sort of wrap um, away from um, it was in a, a sort of plastic pack before so the way you would see mins um and rather than do a trial we did that everywhere in one hit because otherwise you've got the same product in different packaging which um can really affect actually how it lands so it was done everywhere full launch into store but it was quite different so it was quite different mm -hmm. Lots of areas we had marketing to support it, um, social media, lots of um, challenges. But the product looks different. Um, so it looks mm -hmm. different only if you're not used to getting it in that format. But if you order um, sort of uh, boxes to do sort of cooking at home, you will get your mints in that packaging. If you shop in the state, you will get your mints into summer packaging. The product looks different. It's It's more compact, which means when you cook with it, um, you have to work it a little bit 
Um, yeah. I've now got a video online actually for that. But the <laughs> on how to break up the mints. Yeah, you have to yeah, break yeah, up yeah. a little more. The, the reason I give it is because it's backpacked actually, the, the, the flavour of the, the product actually when you're cooking it, you get real stronger flavour through into mm. the product, the actual product. But and the quality, meat and quality is doesn't change. It's just you have to work with it a little bit differently. But it's a change. It's a change that you see at the shelf. Um, yeah. So many customers shop mints every week. And then there was a little bit of a debate about the recyclability of the packaging. The packaging um, can be brought into um, in store, and we've got some places for soft, sort of more flexible plastics to bring them into store. I think some people were challenging with the previous one they could put in the recycle bin, and that comes back to me. That comes back to me about curbside recycling and why, like, yeah. extended producer responsibility, which we're going through now. Yeah will end up with a consistent recycling scheme because we want everybody to be able to put everything in curbside at home and it just depends where you live in the UK, whether you have access. Yeah. So those were the main sort of things that came out um, from the men's packaging. But why I, I think it's great is it, it was bold. Um, yeah. created a change. And the thing is, when it... Yeah, the thing is, we need to make bold change, don't we? You know, if we're really, really going to make a difference in sustainability, it's got to it's going to ruffle some feathers. Yeah. You know, it's not going to make everybody happy. Yeah, <laughs> is it? No, and 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 we've done lots of other things. So we put chicken, um, the chicken, our chicken's now gone into store, and it, it it's in it. We've taken the plastic tree out, um, and mm-hmm. it's. It's easier. It's not easy always to do, but to remove packaging and plastic for products. But when you change the format, um, just thinking through it, it's a massive change. And um, how do you communicate that best to customers and get the message across? So we've done lots of stuff around it now, and and it's more around the sort of cooking of the product, and and that's the bit. Yeah. Spent ages. They were making like bolognese in the kitchen, and they've. And we'll yeah show those videos, but um, and for me that is that's quite disruptive innovation, I would say. Um, and, mm. yeah. and it's yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? Because because you know most people want to make positive change because, and we know why we've got to make positive change. But the reality is that people don't like change when it affects them, <laughs> and it's 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 but then working out how to sort of make the transition easier <laughs> and. So, you know, by doing videos and stuff like that and helping, yeah. you know, and keeping that positive message of this is why we've got to do it. Yeah, definitely. You have to, um, and once, you, once you've got it, just keep continuing a little bit like you evolve your brand. Just keep thinking about how you keep telling people because you things change and then but you might not have bought the product for a while and then you come in to buy it so you've continually got customers having yeah of course yeah it's still the same thing isn't it it's that communication and and people understanding it's exactly it's like the same sorts of messages that we were talking about where you're selling something internally it's like that when consumers understand the reason that you've done it they're more likely to buy in and what they can yeah. do about it so it's it's all about comms basically yeah, and mm. consumers do want um want us to reduce plastic on our products yeah. it's just how we then it's just how like as an industry and as a as a uk that we actually then make it easier for people to recycle um, yeah it's for it, me, that's a circular approach to packaging that yeah you yeah remove all plastic it's I always talk about plastic. It's really functional. It protects the product. It's, yeah. There's lots of reasons why we would continue to have to use it where we can use less of it, but it's about getting it back and, and sort of just thinking circular. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's interesting. We, we were recording yesterday with somebody else talking about nutrition and um, and health, public health and talking about the link between retailers, government, consumer, um, you know, having the right systems yeah. in place to allow people to eat healthier. And it's exactly the same thing, isn't it? it it's There's lots of different moving parts and, you know, there's you've got a responsibility as a retailer. We've got responsibility as consumers, but there's yeah. also, 
you know, the infrastructure needs to be in place for people yeah. to be able to recycle. Yeah, and it's interesting about um, the sort of the nutrition side um, because I've always said this and I say like um, healthy eating and, and a relationship with food is quite complex and it's quite complex for mm-hmm. individuals and their individual relationship with food and how we use food. And so there's a lot of behavioural, there's a lot of behavioural change needed in that area. Um, yeah. Yeah. We can only do that through working together. So everybody yeah. working together because there is no one thing. And, you know, you can reformulate foods but if you don't reformulate diets and eating patterns, it won't. Yeah, it won't change. Um, so yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. There's, there's there's lots we have to do in that area. So, it, I, yeah, I mean, it, for me, it's been that's why I got into. But that's why I ended up in food in the the first place. And then um, it's uh, sort of I was involved really early on with putting traffic light labeling onto products and messaging, and it, we just. We need to think about collectively what next. How do we healthy, sustainable diets is an outcome actually that we'll need to get to in the future. And how do we practically help people to eat more of an eat well plate? And yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And do you think that's a that's it feels like? But I don't want to put words in your mouth. It feels like it's all it kind of it. It's health, sustainability, all of that stuff is wrapped up into one and that, that that's going to be what we really need to be concentrating over the next few years. So, so my, view, my view, and that's in a personal view, that the, the outcome, so that you, you've got measured, we'll need to move to a more sustainable food system and we are in, yeah. know, yeah. in scope three and um, envi- less environmental impact of packaging. But the outcome of that should be a healthier, sustainable diet for everybody, mm. um, and it, it's thinking about it together as a food system, yeah, um, as yeah. And not as separate elements, um, and that sort of yeah. thinking um, is is what's needed because it is one massive big system. It's not you dealing yeah. with nutrition yeah. and food over there, and then you're dealing with that part there. So bringing it together, and I, and I, I see that I definitely think we've seen seen that thinking. Um, but yeah, it's how how that that for me is the future. And I think you talked about, you know, ten years from now, we have to be, um, we have to be developing a food system that delivers that. And I know we have to define yeah. lots, and there's lots of talk about what data we we capture. Um, but but that is that does have to be the future and how it's sustainability mm. and it's just embedded within within your f- food production. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, a lot about it is collaboration. You know, yeah. it, that's come up quite a lot today in this discussion, hasn't it? Yeah. And and thinking about it all as a whole for the greater good rather than you know yeah. a, a siloed approach. Definitely, because you can't do stuff on your own. So we 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 can't bring products to market without our suppliers, and there's so many people involved in that creation. So there's mm. your internal collaboration, and then your external stakeholders, and and learning from each other, and sharing, and yeah, working to common to common goals in some of these areas because um we're all sort of especially if you're starting to talk about sustainability we've all got to get there we've got to get there as a in a global level it's not just individual companies so yeah we there's more i think more that we will be doing and innovation as well in in those spaces and innovate uk um and some of the funding from bbsrc for universities um is is sort of aiming to address some of the challenges that we'd be facing much broader so yeah i think um, we need to keep that coming as well and get people collaborating. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And there's a lot of stuff that feels quite out there that will really help contribute to that sustainable future. And things are accelerating, aren't they, quicker than they ever have done. And I think yeah. things are going to look quite different in 10 years. Well, they need to look quite different in 10 mm. years. And it's how we do that and how we communicate and, and bring consumers along with us, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely, and and that's where mm. having you know brilliant marketing skills um is a is a real asset because you need the the you need um your marketing teams working in the comms experts to help that side as well. 
So there's any yeah, 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 yeah. So you you play quite a pivotal role in all of this. You know, you're you're an innovation director in a, a large retailer. Does it excite you? Does it scare you? How does it? So, so the, so get scare sighted. I was just about to say scare sighted is a good a good word for some times. Um, and it's getting out there finding out answers with other people. Um to think to think about how you bring through the right things and, and what things there's lots of things you can do. So how do you ruthlessly yeah. prioritize in a way what you're gonna focus on? Um mm-hmm. and we do that as a so from an innovation perspective and a business perspective and how that works for your customers um so yeah i think Mm -hmm. the future i probably am a really optimistic person i look at there's loads probably like what lucy's just said there's things are accelerating faster um it's understanding Mm -hmm. them and not and not blocking it because sometimes Mm -hmm. We're going to have to go faster, I think, and it's making sure that we've got a regulatory system and approach as well that enable us to go as faster in the areas that we need to be. Yeah. So I was, yeah. I was just thinking there actually about um, ingredients and things that come through and how we make sure that we might need them faster than we've ever needed. So we need processes that enable us to do that. But yeah, there's some exciting stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but scare sighted. So, <laughs> yeah, and I, and I was just going to say, on a on a totally personal level, how do you keep going in that scare sighted ex- space all the time? Because you're a really busy woman, aren't you? You're like you you're in this exciting pivotal pivotal role, but you know it's got pressures. How do you? keep going and how do you take care of yourself because you know we're all about well-being as well yeah yeah no that's true well-being <laughs> is super important um and I don't always do it brilliantly if, if I'm <laughs> honest no judgment um, none of us yeah. do <laughs> no, it's, so, um I do think it's important to need to let yourself switch off because if you're just going all the time you don't have the thinking time. Actually, Sainsbury's sort of smarter, more flexible approach to working helps with that and sort of trying to have days where you can be more focused. Getting out and about as well helps me. So spending mm-hmm. a couple of days at suppliers, um, you know, and just listening and learning. Mm-hmm. And then you go away and um, that helps. But from a personal level, you probably laugh when I say this, but I am... Um, I I do box a box, so I do, oh, I do brilliant. Yeah. I boxing about uh, three years ago, um, and I'm in so I've, I go to a local sort of boxing club to do that, and you have to concentrate, so it helps me. Mm. I, I like you probably with the boxing. I like everything full on loads of energy. I'm full on loads mm-hmm. of energy person. So a box, I love it. It gets my adrenaline going. But what I'm trying to do now is also think about um, more mindfulness and, and breathing yeah. exercises. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to build them into my day. I never thought I'd be, lots of people talk about the benefits of meditation. I'm a person that really struggles to switch my brain off. So you just, mm-hmm. I just have to start slowly with that and build up. Um, yeah. And then the other thing that I like doing when I can really zone out is if I get into a really, really good um, uh, Netflix kind of box set or drama. Yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. That helps me to zone yeah. out. Yeah. So there's, there's, I'm just thinking about the um, training we did with your team. Yeah. There's a lot of things coming through there that I yeah. like. Yeah. So getting the, getting, completing the stress cycle we talked about, didn't we? Which is like yeah. the, the punching of the, yeah. um, um, and then those mindfulness exercises just to give yourself that, that yeah. time and space. Just of, mo- and it I can think, just be moments, can't it? Just, yeah, you know, small be, moments. Yeah, I was just going to yeah. say mindfulness, you don't have to switch your brain off altogether. You just mm. need to be present in this moment and just like notice something. And but that's mindfulness. Right. And it's really important. And I had to sort of train my brain a little bit more to help me do that because I found it mm. really hard. But it's not that yeah. yeah. Just do a little bit, like you say, in a moment and just try and practice it. Um, yeah, just, the uh, the episode we yeah. uh, sorry yeah. for that. Go. go on. I'm just gonna say uh, we did an episode. I'm so much around you. Sorry, even if you're just like, I know people talk about trees a lot, and I've read loads of a lot about how the calming effect of being in trees. It's just taking that time to actually put your phone down 
Mm. Yeah. 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 It is. It it really is. It really is. And I was just going to say about the episode that we did with Amy Polly was brilliant because that was what really um, opened my eyes up to like just the small moments because I'm exactly the same as you, Claire. I'm like, I I really struggle. But that's a brilliant episode for anybody that wants to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, and it it was a game changer for me, that whole, um, like I did a course with Amy and it was just realising you don't have to sit on a yoga mat and meditate for 20 minutes every morning. Like literally all you've got time for is three minutes on the loo. (laughs) Just do that, you know. I haven't heard that episode, so I will go and listen. Oh, yeah, you'll really like it. it. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. you'll like it. Amy, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Claire, for coming and talking to us today. I just know that so many, that I I almost feel like I can't summarise the episode because we've talked about so many different things. I I know that um, our listeners are going to found it really, really interesting. Not least that you started out in parasitology. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew what that was? That's how we started this conversation and then we've ended it on mindfulness, but we yeah. have literally squiggled everywhere in between, haven't we? I think I had a squiggly giddy I forgot about the parasitology, you've just brought it back. <laughs> when I do tell people that, they all sort of look at me and think, mm, can't see the connection, but then there's a connection. And that would be yeah. my, my advice to people as well as um, often people talk about is just try different things because I, I think mm. you, I could have ended up just doing the same thing or just ended up yeah. quite much more of a vertical career. But um, it, it takes you into different areas and just yeah. you know, go with yeah. it. And especially if you work in, um, you, you work in a bigger organisation, you really can. There's real opportunities to go and try different roles. And I'd encourage people to do that, even if you come back to what you think. You know, I definitely yeah. want to do mm, that. Mm. It sort of helps you. Um, it helps you get there, and you gain a load of experience on the way. Yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, we keep getting asked quite a lot by people starting out in the industry. You know, what advice would you give? And and I think for us, that's always the the advice is don't yeah. feel like you have to have yeah. a linear path. For mm. so long, I. Thought there was something wrong with me because I did all these different things, and now it all yeah. comes together, doesn't it? You're like, actually, yeah. that breadth has given me so yeah. much experience, and I can do, you know, do what I'm doing now. So, mm. and the mm. same for you, it will have given you such breadth of understanding and empathy that you can use within what you do now. So, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much. How, how do people get? If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best place? Mention you on LinkedIn, or you can find me at Sainsbury's actually, um, and I'm really yeah. happy for people to reach out and and email me. Um, and there's loads of yeah, I'm always happy to make new connections. That's so I, I always will. Um, I, I always make time to meet new people because you never know where it's going to end up and I'm an actually quite a curious person so I'll always learn that's the other thing I, I, I'm quite a curious person so actually if you want to speak to me I'll genuinely be interested <laughs> you're going to be inundated I, now, gonna say, like, I went to a young foodies around why young foodies there were young foodies away everyone's followed up and me I've had loads of emails but it's great meeting people and hearing about their stories and how they've started up their brands um, and just the passion that they share as well that, that I love that Yeah, if I can help yeah. them even I will do. Amazing. That's that's so good. Thank you, Claire. It's been a really brilliant episode. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And and, um, I know everyone will have loved listening to that and we will see you next time. See you next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us today and we hope that this has been useful to you. As ever, we would love it if you could rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. It really does help us reach and support more foodies out there. We'd also love it if you'd come and join us in the Facebook group, the Over Food Sake community. And if you want to get in touch with us personally, Lucy is available for consultancy advice and training and can be found on LinkedIn as Lucy Wager. And if you want to reach out to Amy for any one-to-one coaching, group facilitation or training, then contact her on LinkedIn at Amy Wilkinson Coach. Thanks for listening and see you next time. See you next time.
podcast is sponsored by Damer Ingredients, who provide best-in-class functional ingredients such as starches, proteins, fibres and gums, to name but a few, into food manufacturers across the UK and Ireland. I've worked with Damer on various projects for my own brand and with my clients, and what I love about working with them is their in-depth technical knowledge and their ability to apply that to the specific products that you're actually working on. So they become an extension to your own development team, supporting them with their knowledge from concept through to launch. To find out more, visit www.dama.com. 